0: Hello and welcome to the All Eighties Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host Bill Banton, along with me on this journey of revisiting 80s movies is my co-host Jason Masick. Hello, Jason.
1: Bill, it's the same old story: boy finds girl, boy loses girl, girl finds boy, boy forgets girl, boy remembers girl. Then girl dies in a tragic blimp accident over the orange bowl on New Year's Day. Good year? No, the worst.
0: That's right, listeners. Today we'll be discussing the 1988 comedy spoof, The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad, starring Leslie Nielsen, Priscilla Presley, and George Kennedy, directed by David Sucker. This movie is rated PG-13 with a running time of 1 hour and 26 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Those
1: screw-loose airplane creators have done it again. Leslie Nielsen stars as police squad's own granite-jawed, rock-brained cop, Frank Drebin, who bumbles across a mind-control scheme to assassinate Queen Elizabeth. Priscilla Presley, OJ Simpson, a stuffed beaver, two baseball teams, and an odd assortment of others join the wacko goings on and blow the laughometer to smithereens. A film so big it had to be filmed in color. The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. Bill, I'm doing a podcast. How hot
0: and wet do you like it? Very hot. And very wet. Yeah.
1: oh dude, we're we're doing it. This is the naked gun from
0: nineteen eighty-eight. I have to say that might have been the shortest VHS box description we've had on our show. Totally. Completely.
1: And I freaking loved it and it was so nice to transcribe it. It was just so quick. Although I, I did notice real quick, here's a, a little uh, tangent I'll go on. When I'm transcribing things off the back of the VHS box, I usually find the boxes on eBay, but it's, it's funny. So I zoom in and I'm transcribing regardless. They use a lot of hyphens in the words, which trips me up when I'm typing. It's like an 80s thing for some reason. They've got to put a hyphen in everything. So between the words like goings on, laffometer, mind control, they all have hyphens and or rock brained, granite jawed, all have hyphens in between the two words. So I, it, it's just a weird thing in the 80s when they were writing these blurbs on the back of the box. They just insisted on using hyphens. Regardless, yeah, I had to add a couple of, of uh, bits of flair to uh, gotcha. enhance the that that segment for you, buddy.
0: Yeah, maybe they just got paid per symbol. So that's why they added the hyphens. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. So that was our what's on the box. And uh, let's move on to our earliest memories. What are some of our earliest memories from the naked gun for the files of police squad? I think it's the last time I'll say the full title. Right. <laughs> no, I won't. I'll say it one more time. All right. All right. Got to do it. Well, hey, man,
1: earliest memories of this comedy spoof classic. I can't believe I was only a sophomore in high school when this came out, man, a lifetime ago. I don't recall seeing it in the theater, although it's possible, but this was definitely a cable rewatch. Anytime I would catch it, I would always be like, this part is funny. I got to watch this. And then I'd wait for the next funny part. Cause I knew there was something else coming up right away because this entire movie is just one quotable funny line after another and one funny bit after another. So, this you was one of those things you turn on and you just have to watch most of it. And it is a quick watch. Like you said, one hour, 26 minutes. So uh, it's just easy. This is just easy to watch and sit back and enjoy. I, as a young lad, was already a fan of Airplane, exclamation point, that wonderful spoof comedy. And I was just a fan of that style of spoof, parody, sight gags, and slapstick humor. So I was all about this when it came out. Bill Bant, I was not aware of the Police Squad series, that short-lived series from 1982. Neither was I. When this had come out. So, you know, like you just mentioned, like the whole kind of the extended title there from the files of Police Squad. I didn't know what that was in reference to. I just thought it was kind of goofy that it was a super long title for...
0: Yeah, yeah, I thought it was just simple a spoof move of yeah, everything else that was going on. Just make it a super long title.
1: Yeah, you're right. I wasn't aware of the actual Police Squad series. I have seen bits and pieces of that series since. You can look it up on YouTube. It's great. Again, Airplane had been my introduction to Leslie Nielsen. He's a genius. His look, incredibly straight, dry delivery. His comic timing is just impeccable. Uh, the, his ability to switch from straight to goofy right back to straight without skipping a beat. He's just so damn likable and extremely charming. And he's around 61 years old when shooting this and just a great, great physical comedian. Anyway, uh, so of course, Leslie Nielsen, how can that not be really the first earliest memory of this movie for me? Just the fact that he became cemented for me is just a, a really fun comedian to watch and just watch him do his particular shtick if you will he had his little he had his niche in a way for doing this type of spoof comedy i do remember oj being in this movie can't avoid that fact and i remember as a kid i liked him a lot in this i thought oh cool he's a revered ex-football star having some fun dabbling in acting i mean i didn't take everybody liked
0: him back then yeah
1: no doubt about it right it's It's juice yep juice man I mean, I actually didn't take him that seriously, which was perfect because I shouldn't have in this type of movie. And I was like, okay, hey, if this guy wants to get into acting, this is an easy transition for him. You know, ease him in. This is the kind of movie. Can't go wrong. I definitely had a, a bit of a crush for Miss Priscilla Presley. I remember that as an early memory. I thought, I, you know, in, funny, in recollection, Bill Bant, I think this is the first time I, I recognized a cougar. Before I knew even what a cougar was, because I don't think that was part of the nomenclature back then.
0: She was a MILF before a MILF was a thing.
1: Right. Again, that wasn't like those terms weren't in our nomenclature at that time, as far as I recall. Right. I think she's around 43 years old in this. Uh, and yeah, good looking woman, uh, extremely sexy. And, you know, again, I, I watched this. So many times on the cable rewatch, as I mentioned, but also, you know, with my dad, which is a fun memory. I do remember most of the scenes and the actors, which we'll get into. But in general, you know, Bill Bant, my earliest memory of this is just what a wonderful, silly, feel good movie it is. It's extremely quotable. It's always a good time, feel you know, filled with easy laughs. So those are my early memories. How about you, Bill Bant?
0: Yeah, going back to watch this, I thought for sure this movie had come out during the summer and I had just missed it. And I did not realize it was a holiday movie, came out in December. Yeah,
1: right. I, yeah, I don't recall that either.
0: And I remember the big thing being that it was based on a TV show that only lasted six episodes. And I, as you, had no idea. And so I can't even remember what I saw first. Because at that point, all your cable stations were doing the police squad marathon. So I'm not sure For if sure. I saw police squad first then or this. But I know this is definitely a rental. I saw Airplane at the drive-in as a kid. And, of course, at that time, it's just all the silliness. Half the jokes at that point were still going on in my head. I had no idea what it was, but it was just rapid fire, quick jokes here and there. Yeah. And it definitely translated into this movie also, where you really have to watch this movie multiple times because so much stuff is flying at you. And I did enjoy it a lot. Uh, Like I said, uh, Leslie Nielsen See to me and you know you we always just thought of him as this deadpan comedic actor he was reinventing his whole career that's right so i had no idea of every anything he had done really before um airplane so this was interesting too to see him do this character priscilla presley outside of her being elvis's wife i knew nothing about her going into this
1: absolutely correct yeah me neither
0: you know OJ Simpson. He was Monday Night Football, the Hertz commercials. He was beloved, and he's not a good actor in this.
1: No, but it, and that's what I, was, I totally agree. But it works because of the the genre. Mm-hmm. You can be terrible in a movie like this. I think.
0: Yeah. Once again, the great villain Ricardo Mataban as um, Vincent Ludwig, and then there was just a bunch of other character actors that I just kind of recognized throughout. Sure. I just remember being funny, just laughing a lot at different things. I think I was more the first time it was more of the sight gag stuff yeah. and then repeat watchings. Then you get more of the lines. No question. No question about it. Yeah. I just, it was a rental and I just thought it was funny. And uh, yeah, just like you, if it would come on, I was like, oh, I have to wait till this one scene comes on. I want to watch this. And then I'll be honest you, even doing the rewatch, I totally forgot that opening scene. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the opening was yeah. scene was in the second one.
1: So at first, when I was watching this- I've made that mistake. Yeah, I've made that. I was confused about that too. I think something gave it away for me. I was like, oh, that's right. That's in this one.
0: Yeah, I thought the first one- The cold open, yeah. Opened it with um, OJ at the dock. Uh, You know, I'm right there with you, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. (laughs) Yeah, I had to do the pause. Like, is this two? Oh, no, it's one. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's funny. I had a similar issue.
0: Yeah, because it does make it seem like you have watched the show- And you know exactly who this person is and it throws you off a little bit. Yeah. Good point. Very cool. Are we ready to get into some initial thoughts? then? Yes. Let's get some initial thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, by the way.
1: Yeah. I was surprised that police squad was only six episodes, one season in 1982. And it was fun because I I went back. I didn't go back. I just went to YouTube and I looked up kind of the best moments of the series And I was just waiting for one of my favorite things that I remember having seen in the past from that series is at the end of an episode, they would do a kind of a fake freeze frame. And at the end of the show, when the credits roll, you have Frank Drebin and like his partner freeze. It's not an actual freeze frame. They just freeze in their stance and they have coffee mugs. And the one is like partner is pouring coffee into his cup and it just overflows, but they don't move. When they just wait for the credits to roll, love that stuff. Absolutely hilarious.
0: Yeah, the two things I remember from the show is every time they announced the special guest and the special guest would die oh. <laughs> right then and the freeze frame.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that's awesome.
0: So starring William Shatner, and then William Shatner would get shot right away, and that would be the end of his <laughs> appearance on the show. I can see why the show got canceled. That would be a really hard show to write for, too. Oh, yeah. I almost equate it to Faulty Towers.
1: Oh, wow. I haven't heard that about that in a long time. I haven't heard that title in a long time.
0: Yeah, with John Cleese, where he only did the 12 episodes. And right. That's it. And I think Police Squad is perfect that we only got six episodes, and that was it.
1: I have to go back and watch those in their entirety, because the, the clips that I had watched in researching this podcast uh, were hilarious. And they are. It's just nonstop. It's one line after another, one bit after another, one sight gag after another. It's a nurse in a dentist office who always had that sliding door when she opens and talks to you. And then it pulls out and you see she's actually holding on to a window that she keeps opening up and it's not connected to anything. And she walks around with the window and talks behind it, opens the, the sliding door the whole time. Again, these are sight gags. Doesn't not great for a podcast for an audio <laughs> medium here, but folks, go watch Police Squad. It's just they're short, it's easy. Just go watch it. Yes. But um Frank Drebin. So Frank Drebin is our protagonist here. He's the detective, he's the lieutenant in Police Squad. Is it lieutenant or sergeant, either way, detective Frank Drebin played by Leslie Nielsen. I and- thought it was
0: lieutenant. Yeah, he, I think he, he's, he's lieutenant in it. the
1: movie. I think it's ser- maybe sergeant in the series, but he's lieutenant at, anyway in The Naked Gun, the film we're discussing here. And uh, we get a lot of his narration too in this, which is also in the series, uh, which just leads to even more hilarity. But I digress here with my initial thought and I just have to bring up the Zucker brothers right off the top. I mean, we've got Jerry Zucker. We've got David Zucker. We've got also uh, joining the team or part of the team, I should say, Jim Abraham's. Is that how you say his last name, or is it just Abrams? It would have to, I think it's Abrahams, right?
0: It's spelled out Abrahams.
1: Right. I think I've always heard it as It's not like JJ Abrams, but I, I think it, that's how I've heard it too. We're going to go with Jim Abrams then. We'll okay. say Jerry Zucker, David Zucker, Jim Abrams, and Pat Croft also oh, uh, yes. writing on this. And they were the directing, producing team that gave you such classics as. Airplane, Kentucky Fried Movie, Top Secret. We have Police Squad, uh, The Naked Gun films, even uh, one or two of them had worked on hot shots, parodies and spoofs. So this is what they do best. Shout out to all of them. And thank goodness they did what they did because these are unassailable. They still hold up to me and uh, just bring a smile to my face every time I watch any of those films any of their creations so initial thoughts also here opening credits well you know it's funny because we're just talking about the cold open to this movie you have frank drebin who's undercover he infiltrates this meeting of foreign dignitaries and or uh, leaders and or some might call terrorists as they're portrayed here yes our enemies at the time you've got everybody from yasser arafat to Muammar Gadda- uh, Gaddafi, to the Ayatollah Khomeini, to Idi Amin, to uh, who am I missing here? Yes, did I say uh, Gorbachev or Arafat? Did I say Arafat? Yes. Uh, Gorbachev is in the. Yeah, Gorbachev yes. is in there. You've got some look-alike actors in there impersonating them. It's super goofy and over the top, but it's funny. But then it leads into the actual credits, and you just have that POV shot, sort of from right behind the flashing red light on top of the squad car, the police car. And the theme kicks in by Iron Newborn. It's a great theme, and I kind of attempted to sing it there at the top of our pod. And you watch the car. Now it's just stupid fun from the get go. I mean, you're watching a police car basically go down a street. So it's normal. Music's playing, credits rolling, and then it goes into a house, and then it goes into a a lady's shower, a communal shower, and it's great. And I'm like, wait a minute. To, speaking of you know leaders to in you know, foreign dignity like. we just see bush in the opening credits but i'm not talking about president bush i was like oh my goodness yeah we did i rewound it i was like wow we're going full frontal nudity right in the credits i had forgotten about that
0: wow Um, that's pg-13 yeah (laughs) pretty funny stuff
1: hey bill here's my question man i'm not you know we always we'll, we'll say this many many times i'm you know they don't make it make them like this anymore I'm not sure. They still do spoofs and parodies, I'm sure. Can you name one that's been made in recent times? And the, the more, most recent thing that I can think of that comes close to that would be like Borat kind of does spoof like or parody or, or something kind of adjacent to this genre. But I can't think of a full on. When was the last like scary movie? When did that last one come out?
0: Early 2000s?
1: Yeah, I don't, I should have looked it up and I apologize to the audience. Uh, Maybe you can tell us folks, but uh, I like that. Keep saying folks already, by the way, I'm so old. My point being here with my initial, one of my initial thoughts was can they make these anymore? Because this film, it's got some, a lot of sexual overtones. It is crass. It's way over the top. It crosses lines and it's all in the name of comedy. It's meant to be fun But we do live in a bit of a cancel culture now, and you got to be, we're a little sensitive, right? Sometimes rightfully so, sometimes maybe it's a bit much, depending on your perspective, but I think it might be tough to pull one of these off.
0: I didn't think it was as bad as Airplane, to be honest. I I I was surprised how much of it I thought you could actually keep in today if they redid it. But yeah, there is some stuff. Yeah,
1: I'm just saying for the sake of maybe I'm going too far by saying like weird dogs cancel culture and things like that. You're being that people would be afraid of that necessarily. But it's just we have to be considerate of the PC nature of things. I don't know. So it's just be tough to pull off some of this today, in my humble opinion. Like you said, Bill ban a movie like this demands a rewatch because of all the little things you'll miss the first time around. That's just how quickly and how clever this is, or how quickly this moves and how clever it is. And one simple thing, I was talking about the cold open with all the, the foreign dignitaries like sitting around the table. And there's one moment when Frank Drebin, of course, unveils his identity and he starts kicking ass, ass and kicks everybody's butt. And he... Gets the best of Gaddafi. I always say Qadda- it's Gaddafi. We see Gaddafi fall backwards, and on his uniform, there's a giant pin that says, I lost 23 pounds. Ask me how. <laughs> and I've never seen that before. I'm watching it on the big screen. And I had to go back and pause it. I'm like, that's freaking hilarious. <laughs> like, what we, Gaddafi is it? like he'd lost all this weight and he was proud of it. <laughs> uh, hey, man, love me some Ricardo Montalban. Yes. Oh, my goodness. What a great choice. I'll step on the the fun facts here right now, but he was cast because of his performance in Star Trek Two Wrath of Khan,
0: as he should have been.
1: yeah, we we are fans of that film. And so every time he opens his mouth and the way he even, you know, gives his
0: delivery in this in this film, I uh, and he does that great hand gesture all the time. Oh, I yeah. just love that. Once again, we're doing all these visual stuff that no one can see Yes, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. listening. Sorry. <laughs> but if you know Ricardo Bono, you know exactly what I'm talking about with the hand gesture. He's
1: It's emphatic. He's theatrical. He's extremely theatrical. Yeah. Every time he opened his mouth, I was just like, oh, I can't. He's going to say something like, I spent my last breath at thee. Or this is the Alpha 5. <laughs> Yeah, I, he's just fantastic as the villain, our primary antagonist in this. And right back to Leslie Nielsen, another initial thought is just his ability to deliver his lines while performing physical comedy. It's quite wonderful. Speaking of uh, Ricardo Montalban too, the the scene, their first meeting. Ricardo Montalban plays, as I said, the antagonist, his name is Vincent Ludwig in this movie. So the first time Frank Drebin goes to investigate uh, Vincent Ludwig, he goes to his office and there's just a great scene and there's just a lot of things going on and they're having a full conversation between the two of them and Drebin is just being an idiot and being clumsy and causing a wreaking havoc while they're having this conversation so I'm going man Leslie Nielsen has to deliver his lines amongst the little comedy bits in between and he nails his lines and he does it with a straight face and that takes some real talent Uh, there's just no question about it and yeah he's just one of a kind and so I was just thinking about that like that scene in particular
0: yeah I would love to see the gag reel in that movie
1: right how many takes it would to get it the timing right
0: it'd be hours long
1: yeah oh the gag reel yeah absolutely hours long I would oh yeah I would love to see that I would love to see if he ever like when Leslie Nielsen if he ever broke like it would he break in certain takes because he was just great at the deadpan. He was a master of the deadpan. Yes, he was. Last initial thought for me is, hey, man, I love when a marching band plays Louie Louis. Louis. <laughs> I miss that song, man. I don't know. It's just a weird, random initial thought of mine. That's it, man. What are your initial thoughts?
0: So mine was over the course of watching this, just thinking of spoof movies and what makes the Zucker Brothers and Abrams movie work compared to a lot of crap that we got later on. Sure. And I think it's, they don't try to directly parody something. There's so many homages to other films throughout the naked gun, but you really need to know your film knowledge to understand what they're doing. Cause they don't smack you in the head about it. If you know it great. If you don't, it's still funny. Good point. Like, there's a yeah, lot of stuff sure. with dirty Harry in here that you don't catch. The opening quote is basically from black Sunday. You don't need to see Black Sunday to know what happens. There's a double identity reference. Yes.
1: Which is crazy.
0: So there's all this stuff that they put in there that they don't smack you over the head that all these later parody or spoof movies tried to do. Where it's like, oh, if you saw this movie, hey, we're going to recreate it and make it really funny and stupid. They don't do this. That's just, okay, we know you've all seen cop procedural films or we're just going to make a general spoof of it and we're just going to make you laugh. And we're just going to throw all these gags out here and we're going to see what sticks and something might not be your taste, but the person sitting next to you is going to be bending over, busting a gut. And that's what I kind of like about what they do. They don't directly spoof something. They, in a way, they honor what came before them. And that's what I liked about their films, if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. I think it's well said. It's weird that no one tries to follow their formula and they go in this other direction and it just never seems to work. It's just so over the top and dumb. It's not funny. I, well, it's just I'm dumb. glad you
1: just said dumb because it would be very easy to watch this and go, oh, this is stupid. It's That's just too easy. And it's disrespectful in a way because... I, it's one thing if this isn't your style of humor, if it's not your type of humor, you just don't, you know, like some people don't like Will Ferrell, for instance, his kind of style of humor. Mm -hmm. Or you could name any comedian, ranging from Richard Pryor to, to, uh, excuse me, uh, Robin Williams, or anyone, you know, this is a genre unto itself. And it, it may not agree with everybody. You just be like, oh, that's just stupid sight gags and just dumbing, you know, or playing to the lowest. Denominator, or uh, it's just dumbed down, or toilet humor, or something along those lines. If you understand what I'm trying to say here, and it's it's not, it's actually really smart. Some of the the sight gags are very simple, but the way that you, like you said about the police squad series, it'd be so difficult to keep up the tempo, the rhythm, because everything happens so quickly, and you have to have respect for that for the from the writing of it just the cleverness of it in the there are layers to it you have to actually you do if you think about it and you think about the perform the writing and but then the performance of it and the timing of it this is quite carefully crafted and you got to respect that
0: yeah because that's what i liked about the scenes that it might have a sight gag in there but then there's a like a joke in there also and then there's a like some kind of interaction that works so it tries everything and just hopes like well we hope you know you enjoy all three maybe it'll just like one of the jokes maybe it'll just like two of the jokes
1: yeah you still got to respect the craft because it's it's hard to do and to do it well and it hasn't been copied very well no not not to this type it seems yeah
0: it seems like it should be easier than it is and when you watch the movie, you realize it's not.
1: Well said, Bill. Well
0: said. They make it look easy. Definitely a compliment to them.
1: And they make it so look so easy. That's why I think it's easy for for some probably to be like, oh, this is just stupid and not real. But once you start looking at it and breaking it all down, it's quite brilliant.
0: Here's an example. There's a, a scene. It's really quick. It's of George Kennedy. And he's at the baseball game. And he's mm-hmm. eating food. You see him eat some grapes. And then he switches over to his other hand. It's a Popsicle. And then he switches over to his other hand. And then he busts out the wedding cake. And that's when I laughed. When he busted the wedding cake. And it's not a slice. It's the whole top of the cake. And he just shoves it in his mouth. And that's when I started laughing.
1: I love that you brought that up. And there's an extra in the background, by the way, that's making this face. That's just, she's like disgusted by what he's doing. It's really funny. I hadn't caught that before. But I'm glad you brought up that instance Because that's another thing that I think is actually brave that they do with this type of comedy is they know that it's not going to be funny for the first five seconds, for the first 10 seconds, for the first sight gag, second sight gag. They keep going and that's what makes it funny. They keep on going and you're like, oh my God, they're really going for it. And it goes so far and so over the top that inevitably you're laughing out loud because it's so ridiculous. But I think that's brave because it might, because it almost says, if, oh, this isn't working. This is just, this is just dumb. But then he's pulled an entire cake he brings to his face and, you know, starts eating right from the whole cake. It's like, yeah, that's funny. That's funny. You just get bigger and bigger. They keep raising the stakes kind of mm-hmm. in a way. You know what I mean? It's great stuff.
0: All right. So we move on to uh, favorite scenes or moments. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Should sure we have lots of moments? Maybe not I do. so much as yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Moments I have a ton of, scenes little. Um, You actually touched on my first favorite scene, was the opening credits. Great call. Just the music itself. It's a great piece of music that they play during the opening credits. I love that song. Ever since I watched the movie a couple of days ago, I can't stop singing it all the time. I'm singing it all the time now. It's so catchy. Right. And I just love the opening credits. What a simple premise where you basically take a camera, hook up a light to it, and then just walking around places, most unusual places, like you said, too, the inside the house or on a roller coaster. Yeah. You know, first, it's initially right. going down the street. So you just think it's OK, your typical cop opening cop television show from the 70s, where they show the patrol car going through the streets of San Francisco or Chicago or New York or wherever it's going to be. And then right. all of a sudden it veers off the side of the, up the curb and people are scrambling and then it's all in these weird places. And in the next two movies, they try to top it with more crazy spots. But I thought it was a really fun opening credit sequence just to see what they were going to do with it. And it, I just amazed like, oh, my God, this is so simple. It's just a, a simple little rig. They just attach to a camera and then just, hey, where can we they can go anywhere with this. It's like they yeah, just put uh,
1: like these days it would be a GoPro. Like they have yeah. pro, pro attached to the top of the car, even though, you know, you would imagine it's not an actual car. It's just, you could be, it could be a cardboard box that's painted to look like a police squad car, just the very top of it. And you stick a red light on top of it and you just start walking through different environments.
0: Yeah. It's, it would be funny just to see the, what the actual size of that rig was. Yeah. What the rig like, was the, exactly. Yeah. It could probably be like a two by two. I don't know. Yeah. 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 I just liked what they did with that. And I thought that was pretty ingenious. And it, it lets you know right from the outside of the opening that this movie is definitely out in left field a lot. Yeah,
1: it's ridiculous. It's a great call. It is creative. It's fun. Cause then now then you're engaged in the opening credits. You're watching to see what's going to happen next. Where's this car gonna go? It gets in base, you know, it goes into the women's shower. And one of the Zucker brothers is in that sequence, actually. I forget he's like oh up yeah, a picture. His, picture yeah, and it
0: dives out of the way. Yeah.
1: But then of course, to top it off, where does the squad car end Where the, when the credits end? Right out front of a donut shop. Yes. Where you see the cops getting the donuts. Yep. <laughs> <That's>
0: great.
1: <laughs> uh, great call, man. I'm gonna go to a couple of quick moments before my first favorite scene. I love what I'm calling the delayed sight gag because there's so many things that move quickly They go to the opposite extreme in certain points, which gets me every time. And in the beginning of near the beginning of the film, Frank Drebin arrives on an airplane. There's just so many like this whole movie is funny. So there's so many different moments. I'm going to be skipping a lot. He is a bit distraught because he's lost his love, Victoria. Uh, She ran off with a a gymnast of some kind, an Olympic gymnast, I guess. Yes. (laughs) And he's really in his head about it. His buddy Ed comes to pick him up from the airport. They get into their unmarked squad car, and I think Dre, yeah, Drebin's driving. And then Ed makes an offhanded comment like, "You really shouldn't think about it too much." He's like, "Oh yeah," and, and Ed's like, "Yeah, it's." Uh, she just said that uh, she's with this, you know, Olympic gymnast, and it's the best sex she's ever had. <laughs> and of course, that's yes. like, the worst thing you can tell him after this horrible breakup. You know, she left him. And as he says that, of course, Drebin hits the gas and the car's in reverse, and he rams right into a bunch of these baggage carts. So kind of that's a funny moment. Right. And then it cuts to they're driving along the road. You have a shot interior of the car. They have a conversation. And of course, little sight gag here where Drebin says, yeah, everywhere I look, it reminds me of her. And then you see the two. What is it? It's, it's a, the uh...
0: two. It's the power plant, the
1: power plant. And it looks like two large breasts rising yes. from the, the ground. And that's a funny moment. And then it comes to the police station uh, or no, I'm, I'm sorry. They go to the hospital. I think it's, they are going to the hospital to visit Nordberg and they pull up in the car and you see all of the airport baggage carts are still attached to the car that he had backed into. Made me that laugh. Kills yes. me. That kills me. I got me too. Because they went away from that joke. They left it and then called it back because you forget about it. And I just like, (laughs) that's really smart. That's hilarious. They'd been dragging the baggage carts the whole time when they were driving and you didn't realize it until they pull up to the hospital. So I love that moment. And there are other little psych gags, like a really brief moment I'll mention is, is when they're actually at the police precinct and uh, you have Ed and Drebin there and they start talking to Ted, who is basically like in James Bond, we have Q who has all the gadgets in this, we have Ted. And he's so he starts to explain some of the gadgets, but they're in the police precinct and they walk through a doorway into another room. And then you see Drebin just walk around the doorway because it's just a flat, it's a part of the set. And they, they don't have to walk through the doorway at all. And again, that's a visual sight gag and bear with us, Ladies and gents that are listening to this podcast, a lot of these gags are visual. We'll try to describe them as best as we can. But that particular sight gag is just goes so quickly, and you're like, oh my God, that's funny. I'll go back to Ed and Drevin pulling up to the hospital because that leads right into my first favorite scene, and that's Nordberg in the hospital. I've always loved this scene. There are so many great lines in this. No. And it's it, so we know in this at this part of the movie that. Nordberg is a policeman. He was or is uh, Drebben's longtime partner. And he'd been at the uh, Los Angeles Harbor at the docks investigating a drug deal going down. It was a heroin deal. And he gets shot all to hell and all banged up and ends up in the hospital. So Drebben goes to visit him at the hospital with Ed. And as they're walking into Nordberg's hospital room, you can hear or you actually do see the doctor caring for Nordberg and Nordberg's wife, Mrs. Nordberg is, is standing next to him and the doctor's looking at Nordberg's arm. Mm-hmm. This is Nordberg played by OJ Simpson. Uh, and the doctor says to Mrs. Nordberg, I think we can save your husband's arm. Where would you like it sent? Yes. Unbelievable. <laughs> and she starts crying. <laughs> She's all upset already. And so <laughs> driven and en- enter the room. And immediately they're talking and Drebin wants to console Mrs. Nordberg and immediately says, uh, where's Nordberg? (laughs) Nordberg's lying in the bed, right? (laughs) It's like, he's right here. He's like, oh, okay." And of course, we have a sight gag here where you have Nordberg, who's got his arms bandaged up, his head bandaged up. He's lying on the hospital bed. And as soon as Drebin sits down on the bed, it folds in half. And it folds Nordberg in half and it catches Drebin in the middle of the bed. And Drebin is trying to push the bed down. It snaps back up and folds uh, Nordberg in half again. So that happens multiple times. There's some play on words here because Nordberg, when he was investigating the drug deal, he saw this boat that was called I Love You. And of course, he was investigating a, a drug deal. And when he says "I love you," and he talks about drugs, Drebin misinterprets it and thinks he's saying "I love you" to him, and that he's asking for more drugs so he can feel better. And there's just stupid things like that happening, but really funny things. But the real fun of this is when Drebin's attempting to console Mrs. Norberg, and he just keeps it make or keeps making it worse for her. And she keeps crying and wailing every time he says something. He says things alluding to the fact like, uh, yeah, this is just no way to go. And Ed's like, yeah, this is no way to die. And Drebin replies by saying, yeah, you're right, Ed. A parachute not opening, that's a way to die. Getting caught in the gears of a combine, having your nuts bit off by a Laplander, that's the way I want to go. And Nordberg <laughs> just starts wailing. Eventually, the the last line, or one of the last lines is uh, in this scene is Drebin saying, yeah, he's right, Wilma. But I wouldn't wait until the last minute to fill out those organ donor cards. And then she even cries like even more. And it's just it's brutal, but absolutely hilarious. So that's my first favorite scene.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's even another line after that where he tells his wife, "We're going to put every man on this around the clock. Let's go get some lunch." Right. That's that's <laughs> so the right capper. away. Yeah. yeah.
1: That's a classic moment. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go get something to eat.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is a funny scene where Driven just thinks he's consoling and he's the wrong thing is just coming out of his mouth over and over and over again. And You know what?
1: A real credit to Susan Bobian, who plays Mrs. Wilma Nordberg, because I think what makes that scene a lot funnier is how she's wailing and crying and screaming in reaction to what Drevin's saying.
0: Oh, yeah. There's uh, it's one Really shot funny.
1: She's very funny.
0: Where she turns and cries in Drebin's jacket and pulls away. Okay. And it's just this huge little snot. There's snot all over his lapel. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was gross. So gross. Yeah. But it made me chuckle. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Frank Drebin comes home because I thought that was pretty funny too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cause we, we have the cold opening where we mentioned driven beats up all the, all our United States uh, enemies at that point in the, in the eighties. And you right, see the plane right. pull up and you see all these cameras and there's a podium and microphones. So you think, Oh, this is going to be this big press conference for Frank Drebin. Cause yeah, the hero's welcome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what he thinks it is, And he's getting off the plane and Ed's there to meet him and frank's talking about victoria and he's leaving and now he's just distraught because he thinks he went over to beirut to handle this problem and he was going to do it for her and win her back and that's not what happened and he literally goes up to the podium and starts speaking to the (laughs) to the press right thinking oh you want to hear my story of my love leaving me and it's like uh no no they're not here for you um (laughs) Weird Al Yankovic was on the plane and all of a sudden you see Weird Al come out of the plane. That just made me laugh. Oh, it's great. And then when they were driving to the hospital, Ed has this great line where he says, oh, doctors say that Norberg has a 50-50 chance of living. There's only a 10% chance of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And Drevon gives
0: him such a great look. Like, uh, What? What 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 is the math in that? Right. Great moment. And I do get a kick out of every time with the power plant because I do drive it by it multiple times. Oh, yeah. On the way down to San Diego. And every time I drive by us, I always have to reference Naked Gun when I see it and have to point to my kids. Hey, look at the giant boobs. Right. And they're like, What?
1: Everywhere it looked, it reminds me of her. Yeah. Ah, oh, great stuff, man.
0: Go ahead. Oh, uh, just another like favorite moment of mine is. There's another plot line throughout this story, and it all ties in at one point, where the Queen Elizabeth is coming to the United States to make a visit, and police squad is there for protection. And, of course, Drebentoli screws it up and uh, gets himself on the front page of the, all the newspapers in an uncompromising position right. with the Queen. And now he's being fired, and he's back in the police squad, and he's cleaning out his locker and he opens one of the drawers and pulls out a bag. He's like, hey, the missing evidence in the Kellner case. God, <laughs> yes, he really was innocent. But you just hear Ed go, uh, he went to the chair two years ago, Frank. <laughs> and Trevin's just like, well, uh, and just throws it back yeah. into the, the drawer. That, oh, that makes me laugh every time, too. It's just so funny. It's great stuff like
1: that. Those little, little sight gags and great lines mixed in. There's another part, too, because I thought you were going to reference this when you said he opens a drawer. Because there's a part, I think, when he's in uh, Ludwig's office and oh, he yes. pries open a drawer and he just looks in and goes, bingo.
0: That is great,
1: too. And then he pulls out. It's an actual bingo card.
0: That's awesome. because <laughs> It totally fits. It totally yeah. fits. It makes it so great.
1: Yeah. Great stuff all around. I mentioned the delayed sight gag. I'm calling this the, the passing sight gag. It's literally within like a panning shot. Something will cross the screen. And it so it moves kind of smoothly but quickly. And you have to pay attention. When Drebin and Ed go to the uh scene of the crime where Nordberg, Nordberg got shot up uh on the, you know, yeah, at the docks, they arrive in their car and of course they knock somebody off that was fishing. They bang into like this wood post, and the guy goes flying off into the into the water. But then they get out of their car. And so you're going to get like a panning shot. It's a walk and talk. It's like a dolly shot. You know, you've got Ed and driven, and they're walking. But in the foreground, you hear a police officer, uh, just saying, please disperse, please disperse, there's nothing for you to see here, keep moving. And it's a cop with a megaphone, saying these words to these onlookers that are standing directly in front of him. So, the gag is that this guy's saying, Please disperse, please disperse in the megaphone, but he's saying it to people that are standing right in front of the megaphone. Again, kind of you have to see yeah, it. Yeah, and right? when you're Understand referencing
0: people, it? it's a couple. Right. It's that's two it.
1: people. Yeah, that's it. It's just two people standing in front of the other It's yeah, literally
0: that's, a yeah. foot away from them. Yeah, that just makes it so funny because you're, right. you're expecting to see this giant crowd.
1: Right. He's using a megaphone to make a giant announcement. It's just two people standing right in front of him. But the thing is, is that it's a passing psychic. Like it's the camera's moving, and so that kind of go that's in the foreground, and it just kind of moves across. And I love those those bits. Also, back to the police precinct when you you're introduced to a few other characters. This character was also in the police squad uh, series. His name is Al, and the actor portraying Al is an enormous human being. So he's so tall, he's so huge that. His, the camera frame can't catch like the, the top of his head. So his head's always cut off in the, in the frame. So when you're watching it, you can't see Al's face because he's too tall. So they're all, when they're talking to Al, they're always looking up, but you can't see Al's face. And there's just a, a funny gag where uh, you, you see Al come in with his lab coat on and he's eating a banana and Drevin's like, Al, you, you got something on your your face. You got something on your mouth. And Al's like over here. He's like, no, the other side. And then you see Al reach up to the face. You can't see. And he swipes his mouth and half of the banana drops onto the desk because he's just a huge human being. That's just some silly, stupid humor, but it works. And it's funny because he's huge. So he would have, if he had something on his face, it would literally be half the banana.
0: Ted and Al are both in the police squad series. Right.
1: And that actual same gag is in the police squad series. Yeah. It's in the best of moments. Great moment. But uh, my second favorite scene is what I'm calling Drebin and Jane's love montage.
0: Oh, yeah, it's a good one.
1: Yeah, I, I always enjoyed it at this point of the film. Just in case there's those of you who have not seen this movie we told you uh, about our protagonists and uh, our protagonist and antagonist is uh, Vincent Ludwig. And then we're introduced to the love interest, who is Priscilla Presley. Her character's name is uh, Jane Spencer. Well, Ricardo Montalban, well, I'm, excuse me, let me backtrack here a little bit. Jane is Ludwig's, I guess, what, like secretary, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, or she, has it's, a different, it's, she has a different role. It's a different title. But she works for him. Yes. And Ludwig says, hey, Jane, I want you to cozy up to Drebin. I want you to get to know him and find out what he knows because he's investigating something that could affect our company. And I want you to do it for the sake of our our business. And she agrees. And she falls for Drebin very quickly. They uh, have a little fireside chat. Enjoy a hot and wet uh, pot roast, I believe and then it goes into a really funny and very brief sex scene and then it goes into the love montage and we get to see Drebin and jane uh as they are you know hand in hand running along the beach as the ocean is washing up onto the shore they are uh getting a hot dog in the park and by accident, he squeezes the mustard bottle. The mustard goes all over her. And she just looks at her dress and it's covered in mustard as well as her face. And she just starts laughing. She sprays the ketchup on him and he starts laughing. They both spray the, the ketchup and mustard on the hot dog vendor and he just starts laughing. And it's just it's just silly. And then it cuts back and forth to all these little things that they're doing together as a this new couple in love. And one of my favorite moments is you see them coming out of a movie theater and they are laughing their asses off really really laughing hard and then it pans up and you see on the marquee that the movie they saw was platoon one of my favorite moments not a funny movie (laughs) they're laughing their asses cuts back to them running along the beach as they're holding hands and swinging their arms (laughs) in slow motion we see another couple running toward them and they're like oh no (laughs) they raise because they don't let go of each other's hands they just raise their hands up and end up clotheslining. The couple coming toward them. And it's just really funny. And then at the very end, they kind of have a moment where he's saying he's taken her back home and drevin kisses her good night. And he walks off and does his little clicking of the heels. And because this is the 80s in MTV, you get the credits of the actual song. Uh, I'm Into Something Good, I think. Or is it by Herman's Hermits?
0: Yeah, Herman's Hermits,
1: yep. You get the little, it's the text in the bottom, like, third of the screen, the lower left. Uh, yeah, if you're watching
0: MTV or VH1 and the video's ending. and it- you it You see the credits of the band and the song and stuff
1: in the lower corner. Uh, and that's what they do. They overlay that in the picture. So it's a, just, a, it's a fun montage. I, I always look forward to that and always makes me laugh.
0: What I love about that montage too, and I don't think I ever picked that up until this watch was, it makes it seem like they've been going out for a period of time. Mm-hmm. All that happened in one day. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's been going on for at least a couple of weeks. All the stuff that they did. Yeah, but it's Montages usually day. do
1: represent a passage of time, but yeah, yeah.
0: It's one day. And when I heard that, that made me laugh. I don't think I ever caught that before. Right. That's a good call. Um, so going back to uh, Ted's office, the scene just made me laugh. Stupid little sight gag. So they're investigating what happened with Norberg. And Ted says to Frank, we took some of the fibers from Norberg's jacket, and I'm afraid it doesn't look good. And he has a microscope on the table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he asked Frank to look at it. So Frank bends down to look at it. He's like, uh, I, I, I can't see anything. I, what, what am I looking at here? And you just hear Ed just go, Frank, you, use your open eye. And you see and Ed come up. And you can see he has his closed eye over the, <laughs> the microscope viewer. And the other eyes wide open. He's like, oh, OK. And then switches eyes and puts it back down to look. It's a hilarious moment. It's yeah. so, uh, so yeah. stupid maybe laugh funny moment yeah
1: to look on drevin's face when he looks up from the microscope and he still has that eye closed is just it's really silly uh, that's really funny uh, one moment i love is when we know nordberg is still in the hospital recovering and drevin goes to check on him and he realizes the security guard that's posted there is gone and something's wrong so he goes into the room and sure enough the doctor is attacking Nordberg by trying to smother him with a pillow. And I guess we should say that at this point, the device the used by Ludwig here, the our evil villain, is what is it called? Uh, Sensory-induced hypnosis. Yes. So let me backtrack again here really quick for the listeners. Part of the plot here is that Vincent Ludwig, Ricardo Montaban, is planning on assassinating Queen Elizabeth II, who is visiting Los Angeles. For $20 million. You're right. He's being paid by uh, (laughs) Papschmere $20 million to assassinate the queen on her visit. And of course, Drebin and the police squad uh, are trying to stop him. But the the device that Ludwig is going to use is called sensory-induced hypnosis. And when he presses, basically, it's a fob, and he presses a button on the fob, it sets off a frequency or excuse me, a beeping noise that is, uh, that comes from a watch that a person is wearing and it triggers something in that person that turns them into basically like a walking zombie. They're hypnotized and then they do his bidding. And in this case, they are going to kill their mission is to kill the queen. So at this point in this particular moment uh, that I am, Speaking of Drebin goes to the hospital, check on Nordberg and one of the henchmen, one of uh, I believe like thug number one of uh, Ludwig's is there and he has the fob and he the doctor that is looking over Nordberg has the uh, is it a watch that he has on and uh, the thug again presses the fob. Hypnotizes the doctor, then who immediately turns evil and attempts to kill Norberg by smothering with a pillow. Drebin interrupts this attempted murder. And this is the this is such a long-winded way to get to this simple moment. But as soon as dreben Drebin enters the room, the doctor takes the pillow off Norberg and whips it at Drebin. Drebin catches the pillow and it acts like overacts and as if the pillow is smothering him and attacking him. And he just does this (laughs) like he's battling the pillow in order to get it off his face. I die laughing every time that happens because you'll see that in movies. It's just a parody on those moments in a movie when, uh, again, a detective interrupts a crime scene happening and the villain or the, the criminal throws like an object at that detective or whatever, and somehow it encumbers him or... Uh, incapacitates him, and you're just like as a viewer going, "How the hell would that even happen? That wouldn't do anything to the cop." And in this case, it's a pillow, which is like the most, you know, just just a feathery pillow. And Drebin acts as if he's getting smothered by it. It's great. Great a
0: moment. One. Yeah, the pillow that gag always makes me laugh too. Uh, another moment uh, later on in the film, Ludwig pretty much knows that Drebin's on to him, so he needs to. Pretty much take Drebben out. So he tells Jane that Ludwig's going to meet him at this place to make sure he show show up at a certain time, and he has information that's going to help Drebben with the case. So Drebben shows up basically at this industrial meat packing plant or whatever it is, kind of a cross between Batman's Ajax chemical plant and. That's exactly
1: what I thought. That's what it looks like. Yeah.
0: So Frank shows up and he's calling out for Ludwig, and. The henchman that you just mentioned earlier who activated the device at the hospital is there and he calls out Drebin's name, Drebin. He's like, Yeah, I'm Drebin. And he's like, I have a message from you from Vincent Ludwig. And he starts shooting at Frank. (laughs) Frank doesn't move at all. And the bullets just luckily miss him all over the place. And you hear the thug like, take that, you lousy cop. And everyone starts firing. Drevin yells back to him, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Don't fire the gun while you're talking. <laughs> and then the thug starts shooting him again. And then Frank realizes, Oh, I've been set up and I'm about to be killed. So he chases after the thug and they go inside, they go inside the plant at this point. And then you realize it is almost like a meat packing, but it's all gross decaying meat. And there's a shootout going on. And Frank's able to disperse the thug, and the thug falls into this vat. I didn't catch this before. And there's a shot at the very end where you see the thug's hand slowly going right. into the vat, and you notice he has this ring on his finger. Well, later on in the movie, here you go, with the gag that shows up later on. Yeah. They decide that they're going to assassinate the queen at a baseball game, and the queen has like this little luxury suite. and. Ludwig's there sitting with the queen and he ordered a hot dog and he starts eating the hot dog. He makes a face like, oh, there's something wrong with it. And he pulls out a finger and the finger has the ring. So basically he was eating his thug's finger. Right. I don't think I ever caught that before.
1: I hadn't either until I actually read it in the research. That's when I put it together. That's the only reason why I was like, oh, that makes sense. And now even when you're describing, yeah, it's like a meat packing plant. So that's the connection is that mm-hmm. he was killed there and then somehow processed, processed and, then becomes, the hot dogs, and it yep. ends up in the hot dog.
0: Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be able to eat hot dogs for a while. I, that's yeah. No kidding. That's, that's totally pretty gross,
1: but it's, it is kind of funny. It, I mean, it's, it is funny. And yes, you're right. Like it's, that's another like delayed gag that kind of is a callback. Love it, man. Going back to that like moment and scene with the doctor turned assassin, there is a chase sequence that ensues and it's hilarious. There's uh, you've got Drebin chasing the doctor and it's a car chase. So uh, you've got the, the evil doctor in one vehicle and then chasing him is Drebin, who takes over another vehicle and who's driving the vehicle. It's a student driver and a driving instructor and the driver driving instructor is played by the wonderful John Hausman. Yes. And It's a crazy car chase, and at one point in the middle of this chase, they're going down the wrong way down this ramp, and there's a giant semi coming at them, and John Houseman very calmly tells his student driver to place the uh, gear into reverse, and she does quickly and hits the gas and reverses, and then the semi comes up, pulls up next to her, and the uh, truck driver says something rude, and... You hear John Hausman just quietly say, "Now extend your arm out of the window. Now extend your middle finger. Very good." <laughs> it's just that's a nice moment. I always enjoy that. Good old John Houseman, man. I had to look this up because I'm like, "What was that? What was that commercial he used to do all the time?" It was for Smith Barney, and it's it just brought back a lot of memories when he would always say, "They make money the old-fashioned way." They earn it
0: yes yeah, great voice
1: oh yeah uh so love that moment and just going right to my third and final favorite scene it's pretty much the entire baseball game finale and you had mentioned that uh moment with the finger and the hot dog a couple of my favorite moments within this scene because it's a long scene and it's great and this is the supposed to be the california angels playing they kind of mixed it up a little bit and They were supposed to make it look like Angel Stadium, but it's actually shot at Dodger Stadium. Yes. Anyway, packed stadium. The Queen's there to watch the game. And this is when the assassination is going to happen. And just hijinks upon hijinks to Sue, because Drebin knows that one of the players on the field is going to be the assassin, but he doesn't know which one. So he has to get onto the field somehow and basically pat them all down to see who's packing, who's got the gun.
0: And he's been fired from police squad at this point. So he's going rogue.
1: (laughs) Completely. So there's just a lot of things here that happen uh, because he's basically down beneath the stadium. And we know for the Star Spangled Banner, they have the great opera singer Enrico Palazzo is supposed to perform. Well, Drebin finds him behind the scenes and knocks him out, dons the tux, goes out to sing the star But Spangled Banner. That's what he figures he's going to do to get onto the field. That goes horribly awry. He's got to go back behind the scenes, takes out one of the umpires, puts on the umpire uniform, and this is when we get into my favorite moments because when he is an umpire behind home plate, it just is its hilarity. It's total hilarity because he, he doesn't know how to call a game. So as soon as the pitcher throws the first pitch, it just goes dead quiet because he doesn't know what to call. Is it a strike or a ball? And so the entire crowd is quiet and everybody's just waiting for him to do something. And then eventually it just goes, strike. And the whole crowd goes, yeah! And he realizes, oh my God, I am a star now. <laughs> they, the crowd loves me. I just got to call strikes. So the next two pitches he calls strikes and he's just more emphatic and more bombastic every time he does it is in the the strike calls. And we know already as fans of baseball, umpires tend to be a little bit dramatic with their strike calls and umpires have a specific, and I wanted to ask you actually, Bill, do you have a specific cause I know you ump games you've done that part-time, right?
0: Yeah. Well, luckily for me, cause I do softball, we have what's called a strike mat. All I gotta do is as long as it goes over the batter's head and hits the mat strike, I couldn't do the strike zone thing. I'd be terrible at that. I'm okay. Honest. Yeah. but Some you, so you don't put me. a little
1: extra on it when you're, not, uh, oh, I you're do. not screaming out strike? I'll do it for the second one. I'm going to strike two. There we go. That's the one I want to know. I like it. But in this case, Drebben, as the umpire, is just
0: strike. And
1: at one point, after he says strike and the crowd's going nuts, he's like, Doing a moonwalk. He's walking backwards with all these hand motions going, hey, 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 hey. And the crowd's going nuts. And he does a whole dance routine, basically. He's spinning around, pirouetting, doing the splits in the uh, the dirt on the field. It's just, it's great. I can't get enough of that. And I have to go back for a moment, too, because on the big screen in the stadium, they're actually, uh, you know, in between stuff, they're playing highlight reels and such. And they play a blooper reel.
0: I was going to mention that if you didn't.
1: Oh, I love this stuff. So you see a blooper reel of, you know, basically the team's worst moments when they're dropping balls, fly balls, they're running into one another or what have you. And at one point, then we see a player actually get hit by a car we see another player get attacked by a tiger.
0: I did a cringe when I saw it this time because it looks like the tiger got him right in the guy in the it face. It looks like it gets him in the face. Yeah. I'm like, did that stunt guy has some suffer some serious
1: injuries there? Or what or may, I'm hoping the tiger, you know, I I don't want the tiger to be declawed, but I hope for that guy's sake he, the tiger was declawed. That's the guy's
0: fault. He slid right into it. I, uh, yeah, okay, but it is All funny because right, yeah. it's like actual baseball bloopers, and then they intercut these extreme bloopers, like <laughs> right. the one with the fielder where he's going towards the wall and it hits the wall so hard his head snaps off. That's what
1: I love because it makes you. I I actually thought it's supposed to be that the ball knocks his head off, but there's some great dummy work here, and he runs up and jumps to try to keep the ball from going over the wall, and the dummy's head goes flying off before the ball even hits him.
0: And then I'm, I'm going to tread on some facts and trivia here on that one. But supposedly there is a instance where I think it was a Padres game. Something like that happened. The announcer right, 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 right. announces yeah. like, he, oh, he hits the wall so hard, his head rolled off to second base. So they literally did it for this blooper. So you I thought it. that was kind of cool. See, that's the thing. It's just like these small reference. Like we don't have to know where they got that from but it's just funny seeing what they did with it.
1: But you're right. It is done purposefully. It is actually a reference to something.
0: Right. We didn't have to know what it was.
1: They didn't just say, hey, let's throw some random weird crap into this moment mm-hmm. It is actually done with some purpose. And it is really funny. And then all hell breaks loose because Drebin's got to stop the game from going to the seventh inning stretch because that's when the assassination is planned to occur. And he has to stop. Uh, it just, he's, it, there's got to prevent
0: the Yeah. It's got to prevent the third out from happening,
1: right? Because it can't go to the seventh inning stretch and all kinds of crap happens and you can break it down, but you know, the catcher has ball or is about to catch a, a pop fly and Drebin just throws all the balls he has up into the air. So the catcher doesn't know which ball he's supposed to catch. And then there's a point where uh, uh, one of the, uh, a base runner gets caught in a rundown And Drebin runs out. there as the umpire and gets in the middle of the rundown, starts catching the ball and throwing it back and forth between the player. And then between another umpire, and then he tries to throw out the other umpires and it's, it's really funny and everybody's losing their mind. Like you can't do this. You can't do this. He's like, well, then you're out of here. (laughs) And then that all leads up to the actual uh, dramatic moment when we are, introduced and the, the reveal is that the assassin is actually reggie jackson playing the california angel which is a great cameo yes reggie jackson for some reason in this moment uh the sensory induced hypnosis makes him walk like a robot which is really funny i know and he oof, must kill the queen and he's walking like a robot and slowly approaches the queen again just you know you have drebin trying to shoot him with one of the cuff link slash Trank darts, tranquilizer yeah. darts which like bounces off i think I, this is hard to yeah, figure I, out i didn't know what hit does it deflect off his gun or it bounces off of something and it shoots upward and hits this woman <laughs> the upper in, the, in the upper deck who then of course falls over the railing and falls directly on top of reggie jackson knocking him out and
0: thwarting the assassination attempt
1: well said thwarting the attempt saving the day Drebin thinks. Here's my moment to shine in the sun. He takes off his mask and (laughs) he's like, here I am, Detective Drebin. I'm going to finally, I get my due. And then you have a fan stand up and go, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. (laughs) Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a Rico Palazzo save the day. Great stuff. That's that was my uh last favorite scene. It's sorry for going long on it, but there's a lot happening in that one.
0: Yeah, I think I covered most of all my stuff. So do you have anything else?
1: Yeah, I'll just say this. Any moment that uses a dummy in this movie is hilarious to me because oh, it's so yes. flagrant. It's They do it on purpose. It's extremely flagrant. We all know when we watch our favorite action movies, there are times when it's clearly a dummy that's used Whether it's being thrown out a window, falling off a ledge, whatever it might be, being run over, uh, hit by a car, what have you. In this movie, it's done more than a few times, and it's in your face, and it's obviously a dummy, and it's really funny because of that.
0: Yeah, my favorite one is after the assassination attempt, and Lugwood takes Jane up to... That was my favorite, too! (laughs) He's whipping around this Jane dubby, (laughs) it's... the arms are flailing and legs are flailing everywhere. It's, it's pretty funny.
1: It's a funny one. There's that there's a, uh, the baseball players get into a fight there's a pileup and immediately you see a, a baseball player. It's a dummy gets tossed from the top of the pile and goes flying off to the side. And immediately another player jumps on top of the dummy. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and then the classic, which is in the trailer and you've seen it many times is uh nordberg shows up he's gotten out of the hospital and he's in the wheelchair and Drevin pats him on the back which ends up shoving him down the stairs of the stadium in the wheelchair and the wheelchair rams against the bottom of the stairs and uh nordberg goes flying up and it catapults him up into the air <laughs> and it's a dummy that just goes shooting up into the air and flying down into the ground very funny stuff a lot of great dummy work That's it for me, man, for favorite moments and scenes,
0: yeah. Hey, let's take a quick break and hear from our friends over at the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast.
1: Hey, do you enjoy movies? If so, you're going to want to check out the Retro Movie Roundtable, the podcast where we watch movies and then talk about them. We're inviting you to join us as we dive into beloved movies from 10 years ago and beyond. We cover every genre and every era. The show is fun and personal, but also insightful and informative. The Retro Movie Roundtable is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Please check them out over at the Retro Movie Roundtable Podcast. Now back to our show. All right, so let's move on to our Swiss cheese and complaint department. And why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. Yes, and if it doesn't fall under Swiss cheese, we just file a complaint with the complaint department. So this is a spoof movie. Everything's supposed to be ridiculous. It's not supposed to make sense. So we're just uh, our complaints, I guess, in a way will be mostly minor. But what do we got for Swiss cheese and complaint? Do we have anything?
1: You know what? I, I just had a question. These are just questions for you. Okay. there's things that aren't explained in this movie and just don't need to be we get what this movie is, but here's my question is the sensory induced hypnosis. So the beeping that occurs, because we see the the puppet, if you will, person who is being hypnotized is wearing a watch. And we understand that the, whether it be Ludwig or a thug or whomever that presses the button, it sets off the device. The beeping happens. it, It emits a certain noise from the watch that the person is wearing, which then induces the hypnosis and that person then becomes an assassin so is that how does it work though
0: i was thinking the same thing i had that written down too
1: because does the beeping carry like a frequency is it on a certain frequency that then triggers something in the brain that sends like a message with an instruction to kill
0: how do you get the person to watch like i understood the the receiver device that made sense but it's like how do you get someone because the first time they demonstrate is Ludwig shows Pap Smear. His secretary has right. the watch on and he has secretary fake attempt to kill Pap Smear. Okay, that makes sense. But then, yeah, how do you specify, okay, I want you to kill XYZ? Because at the end of the movie, Ludwig triggers the device on Jane and Jane knows right away to try to kill Drebin. Right. I can see the device working to make you the zombie assassin. Yeah. How do you get your orders? That doesn't make any sense to me.
1: I think what we're obviously what they're going for is it's kind of like uh, a bond villain will have some sort of device or gadget themselves that they're, you know, they use. And that's kind of like a parody on that in a way. And you don't always understand how it works, but yeah, it's just fun. And like, we don't need to know. It doesn't matter. We just know what it is. But I just asked only because it's kind of cool in a way.
0: Yeah. Even if he just randomly talked into the, the fob and just said, I want you to kill the queen and then poop, mm-hmm. I would have bought that hook, lock, and stick. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's already ridiculous enough, but. Right.
1: Uh, right before the sex scene in okay. the human condoms is
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> a great comedic moment where uh, Jane and drevin are facing one another and they disrobe. Mm-hmm. Jane. Does she have a zipper in the front of her dress?
0: Oh yeah, I know. Where does that come from? I just thought that was like, I'm like,
1: wait, because usually you always see, oh, can you help me with this or whatever? You know, the woman has the zipper in the back of the dress, or the guy unzips it or zips it up. And in this case, Jane just like unzips the front of it, and it just comes off. I think that may have been done on purpose. But I was just like, oh, I've never seen that before. Zipper in the front of the dress.
0: Kudos to uh, Leslie Nielsen in that scene. He looks pretty good. I'm... Oh, he looked in great shape. Yeah, he looked in great shape. I was like, shit, I got to start doing some push-ups. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. This was uh, just a little nitpicky thing because, uh, and it relates to the quote that I had at the beginning. In the beginning of the movie, it's revealed uh, that Drebin was in a relationship with a woman named Victoria. She had dumped him for the Olympic gymnast. But in the scene with Drebin talking to Jane after the dinner, uh, he mentions that Victoria had died in the blimp accident. So it's a different story as to what happened to his wife.
0: I thought about that, too. So was the blimp accident his wife, Victoria, and now he's dating another Victoria?
1: Or was it a different girl altogether? Maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah. Because he doesn't say Victoria when he's talking about like he's been unlucky in love, basically. Yes. So maybe he was talking about a couple of different women.
0: Maybe. You know. Yeah. That's what I first thought, too. I'm like, how many times has this guy been married? And I was like, oh, wait, maybe not. Maybe it was somebody else. So that did cross my mind at one point, but I didn't write it down because I couldn't confirm. Uh, my fir- first complaint, besides talking about the watch devices, uh, Norberg, Call for backup. <laughs> right. You got what you deserved. That's all I'm going to say.
1: Oh, my God. When he goes through the door and there's like 10 guys pointing guns at him. Oh, as soon as that happens, you got to run. And he's like, freeze, police!" And one of those guys actually does drop his gun. Yes, <laughs> that was crazy. funny. <laughs> you're right. Come on, man. You can't take a, take them all on by yourself. Yeah, yeah You're, you're going to get.
0: Yeah, if I gave myself away, I would have jumped, jumped right over the side of the boat and just swam away.
1: Yeah. No, thanks. I'm out. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. And back to the scene where Nordberg is in the hospital and the uh, doctor assassin goes after him. Here's a question again, regarding the device, the sensory induced hypnosis. So once Dredden barges in and interrupts the assassination, wouldn't the doctor at that point then snap out of it? Or is, does the hypnosis just continue because the uh, assassination attempt has now failed the doctor then goes into basically all right he throws the evil pillow as a weapon yes trevin which is amazing but then doesn't like he like goes out the window and then gets into the car and then his car actually has like the spikes in the wheel wells in the wheel rims like the car was actually weaponized as well i (laughs) know How was this planned out? So is this doctor now permanently evil? Because it seems at times, like, my question is, how long does the hypnosis last, I guess? I I don't know. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, because I was really curious to where the doctor was going to go. Because if you're under hypnosis.
1: And you can't fulfill your mission. You can't perform the assassination
0: it has been. He should have just followed to see where he's going to end up. Maybe he would have ended up back at Ludwig's, and then that would have really just put one-on-one one together. Yeah, I was just curious. I'm like, where are you going? Like, how how do you know to run? Right, yeah, or and then shoot back at Drebbit
1: and all of that.
0: Yeah, because all you've been told is just to kill Norberg.
1: Right. It's a singular mission with a singular focus. So I was just a little confused by that. It's yeah. like, oh, this poor doctor has been hypnotized. And then, in a moment of hilarity, of course, he ends up blowing up and setting off a fireworks store.
0: Yeah, I was definitely overanalyzing when that was happening. Right. I was the same as you. Why is he doing all this stuff? Where the hell is he going? How does he even know he's supposed to be doing this? Here's my last complaint very nitpicky, just because working in the world of uh, professional sports, when they're at uh, Dodger Stadium, that field was in shambles. I was like, oh, this is definitely during the off-season. There's no grounds creeper that would ever let the condition of that field be the way it was. Because you get to see it's all yellowing. It's right. not a, a nice like Even like when I was with the Dolphins, if we had back, because we used to have to share the first couple of years, we, the whole time I was there, we had to share with the Marlins. So we'd have the you know, right. the, the, the infield in there. But the grass was bad and patches, we would literally paint it. Just so it looked fine when the people came in or television, it looks yeah. green. Image is
1: everything, man. It's just appearances. Yeah. Got to keep so when up. I was seeing all that
0: yellow, dry grass. I was like, oh, I was like, why don't you guys paint that? It looks terrible. That was dry. It makes sense
1: because it's somewhere in the research, too, that they had, to, there was a scheduling issue with the right, actual baseball they, season.
0: Yeah. Cause they couldn't shoot it at Angel Stadium. Right. So they did it at Dodger Stadium. It's either the off-season or they're on It was the right before the season started, trip. yeah,
1: or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good you problem. would
0: never, a grounds crew would never have the field look like that.
1: That's a great point, man. My last nitpicky complaint, and I, I just think it's really funny, is that when Jane comes to the police precinct to tell Drebin that she's still in love with him and also that, that she believes him, and also the big thing is that she now knows that Ludwig is really a bad guy. And she tells Drebin all about Ludwig's plan because she had overheard it after the banquet. I was like, it's just really funny because I had to rewind it. I was like, did I miss something? Was there a scene I missed? Oh, yeah. Because usually in movies when somebody, a character, a protagonist, somebody we're involved with or engaged in is misled by the bad guy and is on the bad guy's side until they discover the bad guy's plan that the bad guy really is bad, evil, whatever. And there's a scene where that happens, that unfolds where the person we, we right. like,
0: she would have overheard another pap smear Ludwig. Yeah. She's
1: like, happens to be behind the door and, and, you know, eavesdropping or some other way it happens in the storytelling. But here she's just like, Oh, I hover heard it after the banquet. Here's his entire plan. This is what he's going to do. There's going to be a baseball game and he's going to use one of the players to be an assassin. It's like, oh, this is, you just overheard all of this. Uh, it's just kind of funny. It was just a really easy way of getting that.
0: Yeah, because there's not like there's a time constraint on the movie. There's right. They could have put that scene in. I I don't think it would have added too much.
1: Uh, it was just a little too easy to get
0: I agree to that him.
1: point. Get that information out that Drebin needed to know. You know, because we got to get to the baseball.
0: Yeah. Because you could have done something funny with that. they they met somewhere weird in the banquet hall and having the conversation for she's doing something. At, why is she over there? Yeah. I agree with you, too. It just, just have the scene. It's another two, three minutes to the movie. Yeah. Not going to hurt anybody. It would have made it a solid 90 minutes. Instead yeah. Of an hour and 26 minutes. So that's all I had. Yeah. Me, too, man. We can keep it moving. All right. Let's keep it moving with, Hey, it's that actor. All right. In this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's that actor. You can go first on this one. Sure.
1: I chose an actor named Mark Holton. Mark Holton plays the spectator that screams out, hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. Previous to this film, he was the character of Chubby in both Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2. He was also Francis Buxton in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, he would go on to play Ozzy in Leprechaun in 1993 and then reprise his role as Ozzy in Leprechaun Returns in 2018. Mark Holton. I As soon as he stood up, I was like, oh, I know that guy. Where have I seen him? And then I, saw, I was like, I got to look him up. Oh, Teen Wolf. Yeah, of
0: course. Absolutely. Uh, Jason, I had... Colton, as my oh my god, did you I didn't really think there was any way you were choosing that one? I'm like, oh, I'm safe with this one.
1: That's great, that is awesome. I can't believe, of all the people that
0: I mean, it's not like because for me, he is Francis, Francis. Oh, yeah, um, from Pee Wee's Big, Big Adventure, sure. Yes, right. that hey. is really funny. Well, we got the same, that's cool. It happens my
1: second choice was going to be Nicholas Worth, who played thug number one. He was a character oh, like yes. tug. He's a t- in a ton of stuff Swamp the, the thing.
0: Age. Yeah, I remember okay. Swamp thing, yeah.
1: Uh he's also credited as I think it's Cupbreaker and No Way Out, which we actually covered on this pod. Oh yeah,
0: that's right. He's yeah, he is. Isn't
1: he in like that interrogation room uh facing off with Kevin Costner and he's like looking all threatening and stuff? Is yes. he one of the yeah. Yep. One of, te- technically one of the Russians and he shatters the cup. Like trying to be intimidating. Yep. Yeah. So Nicholas Worth, he was one of those, hey, it's that actor.
0: Cool. All right. So uh, let's move on to facts and trivia. There's some of the facts and trivia from the Nick Gun for the Files of Police Squad.
1: Well, speaking of masters of the spoof, the parody, now while Frank Drembin is impersonating an umpire, the batter swings back and hits Frank in the face. That joke was suggested by Mel Brooks, according
0: to IMDb. Like we said, this is based on the television series Police Squad, even yep. though it was, uh, which aired in 1982, only aired six episodes, but some people seem to like it because it was actually nominated for two Emmys. Oh, no way. Yes. So Leslie Nielsen uh, was nominated for uh, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. show also got nominated for Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series.
1: See, that? there you go. That's proof positive right there that people just had immense respect for these guys and what they do. Even if again, that just goes back to what I think we were saying at the top. It's like, even if you don't agree if, or if this style of humor doesn't agree with you, you got to respect the effort that goes into making it work.
0: I would like to know when it was on and what was up against then to only last six episodes. Well, it was
1: 82 was when it was on. Yeah. I don't know. Good stuff though. it is well-deserved. Because then yeah, they it kind works. of tried
0: that again with, did you ever watch Sledgehammer? Uh, no,
1: I never did, really. No, I, didn't, no. I didn't either. Because I was up
0: <laughs> against Miami Vice, so
1: that, yeah, was, yeah. Not,
0: that was not flying. But that, I guess kind of had a similar premise to it. But that lasted at least two seasons. Yeah, this is a six episodes, man.
1: Anyway, Susan Bobian, who I mentioned earlier, who played Mrs. Nordberg. She's Mrs. Nordberg. She's playing the wife of O.J. Simpson's character. Many years later, Bobian stars in The People versus O.J. Simpson, which was the first season of FX's crime anthology series, American Crime Story, it's in 2016, about the O.J. Simpson murder trial. How crazy is that?
0: That is very
1: weird. Can you imagine, like, being her? <laughs> like, yeah. Going, uh this is a little trippy.
0: He used to be nice. <laughs> he seemed cool when I was working with him on Naked Gun. Yeah. So... Jeanette Charles, who played Queen Elizabeth, not the first time she's done it. She actually made a living being a impersonator of the Queen.
1: Oh no, kidding! That makes sense, sure.
0: And uh, we've seen her in um, European Vacation and uh, Austin Powers and Goldmember, among her many other television shows and movies that she's done. And she had been doing it since about the mid '70s. So she's a nice little. Uh,
1: she had a good run. You know those guys. I always wonder how those guys do those. I should say guys, boys, and girls. The men and women that are the great impersonators or You know, they. I bet they make a pretty decent living. So good for her. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Good little piece of trivia there. Uh, this was John Hausman's final film uh, before he uh, died on October thirty first, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, the film wasn't released until December, as Bill had mentioned earlier. Here's a fun little piece of trivia. Pat Proft, one of the writers and part of this uh, comedy team that worked on the films we'd mentioned from Kentucky Fried Chicken all the way through, you know, Airplane, Police Squad, etc. Pat Proft was one of the writers on the Star Wars Holiday Special.
0: Yeah, I'm sure that's a credit he wishes was uh, taken off IMDb. Back in 1978. How about that? trying to think when the last time I watched that was. That's a painful watch.
1: I don't want to watch it to be honest. I've listened to some other great podcasts on it, and after listening to those podcasts, uh, but yeah, I can't. It's it's so cringeworthy, you know, and hard to get through. It is because the little clips I I do watch. I'm like, oh, that kind of looks cool. It's great. They got Harrison Ford did it, and Mark Hamill's in it, and there and then. But the whole Wookiee side story, and they're just some shenanigans that happen.
0: And- yeah, all them are in for maybe eight minutes and then it's just filler horrible horrible filler
1: although I do need to watch the animated sequence again with Boba oh, Fett in th- it that's the that's one. the yeah that's that's the, the
0: only thing worth watching
1: Boba Fett's introduction mm-hmm. supposedly according to IMDB I don't know if this is true or not a 2022 that's this year so we'll see a reboot starring Liam Neeson is reportedly in the works
0: it's possible. I read uh, a couple of years ago they tried to get Ed Helms to do it. Okay, fell through. So I'm sure. Yeah, let's get those IPs back up and running again.
1: That's funny because Ed Helms did Vacation. He did a reboot of that.
0: Yeah, that didn't turn out all that great either. No, no. Oh well. So uh, Dominique, who played Ludwig's secretary, um, I think there's a little nepotism with her casting because she is the mother of Jerry and David. Sucker.
1: This is going to be my last piece of trivia, and it's just uh, briefly discussing the great Leslie William Nielsen, uh, because he is the man. And uh, Bill talked about this a little bit earlier, but I'm just going to give him a little bit of shout out uh, here. Uh, He was a Canadian-American actor. His career spanned 60 years, appeared in more than 100 films and 150 television programs, portraying more than 220 characters. Uh, again, as Bill mentioned, although his, he had notable performances in the films Forbidden Planet and The Poseidon Adventure, uh, which gave him san- uh, standing as a serious actor, we know him uh, from his work in the 80s, uh, from doing the Zucker films and uh, being in these spoof films. Uh, Nielsen had received a variety of awards and was inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame and the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And our... Our guy, Roger Eberts, called him the Olivier of spoofs.
0: Yeah, it's kind of weird. His whole second career. Passed
1: away uh, in 2010. We lost a great, great uh, comedic actor. Great dramatic actor, too, in his own right. Leslie Nielsen.
0: All right, so let's move on to box office. So the Naked Gun, Files from Police Squad, was released on December 2nd, 1988. On an estimated budget of $12 million, it grossed $78.8 million domestically. It debuted at number one at the box office, knocking off Scrooged, which held it the week before. The Naked Gun would drop to number two the following week to the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito comedy, Twins. However, Naked Gun would stay in the top 10 for the next eight weeks. It would rank number eighth overall for the U.S. domestic box office for movies released that year. So big success. So moving on to reviews when growing up in the 80s, we would watch at the movies with Gene Sisko and Roger Ebert to hear their reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of the naked gun from the files of police squad was unanimous. Two thumbs up. Roger okay. found the movie to be a dizzy, crazy, wacko, goofy, irreverent satire on police thrillers that made him laugh out loud a lot. Gene found the movie to be very funny and love the fact that the jokes just kept flying and didn't bother waiting to set them up and try to force laughs on the audience. So that brings us to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about The Naked Gun?
1: Hey, man, I'm going to keep this simple. I'm going to go straight for the easy question, and okay. it's what's your favorite spoof movie or favorites? I guess you could have multiple. If you have a number one, let me know. I'm going to rattle off.
0: Oh, don't even need to. Okay, great. Tell me. So my one, two would either be Young Frankenstein or Austin Powers.
1: That's great. They were both in the list I was going to rattle off. And it's hard to to argue with Young Frankenstein. I would most likely have that as number one. You know what? There's so many that I had forgotten about when I was doing a little bit of this research, and I'm just going to rile these off. I mentioned Kentucky Fried Movie, Top Secret Airplane, Police Academy, Loaded Weapon, Hot Shots, Scary Movie, Not Another Teen Movie is one I kind of like. Young Frankenstein, Spaceballs, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Mystery Men, Wet Hot American Summer, Monty Pythons, The Holy Grail, Austin Powers, Johnny English, uh, which closely resembles Nick Gunn, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story. That's just to name a few. I'll be honest with you, man. I am really, really partial to Wet Hot American Summer. I'm a really big fan of that movie.
0: That would have been my guess.
1: I, I adore that movie. Summer Camp parody. Really, really fun stuff. Great ensemble cast. Uh, some of the guys from the state. I, I think Michael Showalter directed that, if I'm not mistaken. Paul Rudd is amazing in it. He's, I mean, David Hyde Pierce is in it. Janine Garofalo
0: Bradley Cooper. Some other,
1: Brad, yeah, there's some other yeah, cameos in there. Yeah, Bradley Cooper, before he was Bradley Cooper. Gosh, who else? I, I'm missing a lot of people.
0: Oh, uh, Elizabeth Banks.
1: Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, also Christopher Maloney, who plays the chef. The scene with him in the fridge at the end. Just, like, <laughs> just I think there's a great slow clap in the movie, too, at some point. I'm not sure. So many great people in it. Yeah, I, I Young Frankenstein and Wet Hot American Summer. I used to be such a big Holy Grail fan, but there's a, I mean, Mel Brooks, how can you, know, it's tough to beat. uh, what other questions would you have?
0: Okay. So what is your favorite movie based on a television series? Oh, I didn't put any choices.
1: Uh, great question.
0: So the television series has got to be first. It can't be a television series based on a movie. It's got to be a movie based on a television series.
1: My, yeah, I'm trying to think of different genres, too, like action, cop, fantasy. Oh, God, I don't know that it's been done. I mean, because, of course, I'm going right to Miami Vice, and I still need to see the director's cut of that and revisit that to give that just a, another watch.
0: That one has grown on me.
1: Right. And that's what most people are saying today, to be honest. Uh, and I've listened to podcasts about that, too. And uh, I, obviously, it's still a Michael Mann fan. So that just keeps coming to the forefront. Uh, they never made a Battlestar Galactica movie, which I wish they had. <laughs> um, why don't you name yours while I think? All right. Well, don't steal it. Mine's
0: The Fugitive.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, I never watched that show. Oh, okay. Wasn't really, I'm not familiar with, I knew that it was a, a show, uh, but that's not, yeah, at the forefront of my mind. Did you watch that sh- that series?
0: It came on after the movie came out, so I caught a couple episodes. But I I remember one time the final episode of that show was one of the highest rated shows of all time. Right. Till MASH stomped it. And see, MASH can't be your answer because the movie came out first and then the show. But that, yeah, that would definitely be the reverse. Like, what's your favorite show based off of a movie? Uh, so I'm totally cheating right now. Yeah, go for it. I'm looking at lists here. I thought you were going to say Adam's family, but. <laughs> Mikhail's Navy, Card 54, Where Are You, The Honeymooners. Here's the one I'm going to go with just go
1: from the list I'm looking at right now. Good Burger. No, I'm kidding. So I am simply going to go with 21 Jump Street. I love that movie.
0: Okay. I, I think one. it's
1: absolutely hilarious. Uh, and Now I really want to do a deeper dive on this, but I think it's hilarious. I think Channing Tatum uh, and uh, Jonah Hill have amazing chemistry. I la- I was so surprised when I saw it. Ice Cube's hilarious in it. Uh, some other great comedians. You've got uh, Captain Marvel. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name. A young. This is the first time I actually saw her.
0: Really? Oh yeah, Brie Larson. Yeah, I was gonna say I see her every day in a car commercial. Wow, I did not. But I have only seen the movie. Yeah,
1: I mean, she. You know, obviously, uh, a few years later, and she you know, had been hit in the gym and she looks fantastic, you know, for Captain Marvel, but she's like the girl next door type.
0: All right. Last question. This one's a little bit easier. All right. Who would you rather have taking your case? Lieutenant Frank Drebin or Inspector Clouseau?
1: Oh, wow. These are great questions, man. You put some real good thought into this. Who would I, who would, if I had to choose somebody to take on, my case yes like if my life depended on it <laughs> i Pretty might possibly. go yeah i think i would have to go with Drevin because i think even though he is a bit of a bumbling fool he still can maybe follow the clues somewhat and maybe has a nose for a act for it. i think i mean don't man i just adore peter sellers and inspector cluso but uh He's just man, he I think kind of gets a little more, more lucky, if that makes any more sense.
0: It was hurting me to say yeah. I would pick Drebin too, because drevin actually seems to try to do some police work. Right. As you're right. Cluso just stumbles upon really, everything by accident.
1: Which is hilarious. Now if I if you twisted my arm to ask me who I thought was funnier i might give cruzo and and peter sellers just the slight edge maybe because he, i he was a, my first love probably before drebin but uh that's a that's a great question man that's just a great question cuz i think yeah again drebin would just follow the clues like he would do like you said yeah do actually do some police work yeah. cruzo is just an idiot which is hilarious in the movies cuz he infuriates the chief who just it's like how do you how do you even how are you even alive?
0: Yep, He's the unluckiest lucky person we know. That was it for my questions. So Great yeah, we, stuff.
1: Well done. Well done. Uh, I have nothing else.
0: Okay, uh, so let's move on to our recommendations. What are our recommendations for the Naked Gun?
1: I recommend it hundred uh, percent. Definitely watch it. I would say this airplane. Watch it for Leslie Nielsen. Watch it for everything we talked about regarding the the comic timing the physicality the, uh, the the nature of the spoof the sight gags the crass humor it's just it's so quick it's so quick-witted and well timed and well written it's it's really smart it's really smart when you break it down again it's for this particular genre if you're a fan this is a must-see and you're watching some real talent uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera here at play. It's such an easy watch too. That's why I recommend it because it is less than an hour and a half long and it flies by because the jokes keep coming as uh, Siskel and Ebert mentioned. So I recommend it wholeheartedly.
0: Yeah, I agree with you too. And I think what I love going back to was actually finding jokes Mm -hmm. that I did not see before or depending on when you see it, if you're a, a young, young where I was more into the visual stuff and then as I got older, I got more into the actual dialogue comedy and then seeing the combination of the two. It, I mean, I've seen this a handful of times and I'm still laughing out loud. Yeah. Um, watching it because you just see something new or catch something in a new light and you're like, wow, okay. But yeah, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, check it out. It's fun. It's just pure fun. Yeah, it is. Hey, we can't help that O.J.'s in it. That's what it is. We can look past that. Yeah. All right, so I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing the 1983 action drama, Blue Thunder, starring Roy Schneider, Daniel Stern, and Malcolm McDowell. As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all 80 gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta at All80s Movies Podcast, or tweet us at Podcast All80s. Until then, have a truly totally great week, everyone.
1: Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, world.